Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. State of the Empire is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. And is brought to you in part by Consequence of Sound the web's foremost source of music and film news, reviews, and insights. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geek programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Welcome to State of the Empire, Nerdy Show's Star Wars speculation podcast, where we look for news in Alderaan places. Hi, I'm Cap. Hey, I'm Doug. Hi, I'm Matt. In this episode, well, it's coming hot on the heels of our episode where we talked about Lord and Miller getting booted from the Han Solo solo film. So we have a little bit more information about that, um, some new things that have come to light, as well as a bunch of stuff just about the Star Wars world that in our last episode being so hot and heated about that insane turn of events that we did not get to cover, including information about uh, Visceral's forthcoming Star Wars game, new news about the theme parks, uh, even a little bit of uh, Indiana Jones stuff. So uh, strap in, and if this is your first time and you're worried about spoilers, do not worry about spoilers, because anything that is truly spoilerific, well, we are going to lock those firmly behind the blast doors, and we will be very clear about when we are going to open those blast doors. So, um, <laughs> Han Solo. Well, uh, Ron Howard is in London right now. Uh, shooting will resume soon, and will continue into the first week of September, which is very different uh, from the few weeks that were going to happen in the middle of the summer uh, to counteract that. It's, I mean, hope, I, I guess they got all the uh, all the cast schedules in line. This must have been a very difficult thing to put together. But uh, sources do say that much of what Lord Miller shot will be, quote, very usable. Now, a lot of the bigger new details have come from a Hollywood Reporter article, which doesn't have a single source cited, just a bunch of insiders who spoke to them. And what's interesting about this whole development is that we're seeing we're seeing a weird picture, and it's hard to figure out what is exactly like true and what's just, you know, one random person's opinion who seemed like a good pull quote. Um, there's lots of folks online who are leaning on the side of, well, clearly Lord Miller were trying to make this film too zany. And if you listen to our discussion in the last episode, you'll know that we were pretty big proponents of, well, uh, that seems counterintuitive to everything we heard about, this movie from people like cinematographer Bradford Young going into the project. And fortunately we can say that it's the more that comes out, um, the more it seems like trusted sources point to the direction uh, that we were leaning, which is that it, um, it, it, it was actually a pretty serious film. But when people talk about improvising, they're just talking about improvising. They don't mean improv comedy. They mean, simply improvising 
Yeah, try and get out the, the, the next version of I know. Right, exactly. I love you. I know. If it wasn't for <laughs> some degree of flexibility, uh, we wouldn't have that. We would have I love you. I love you too. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Thank God for improvising. So this isn't necessarily a bad thing. But there's also some very good reasons that Lord and Miller might have not been the right fit for this or that uh, Kathleen Kennedy and uh, Lawrence Kasdan got nervous about this for better or for worse. It's a very difficult thing to put together because this is an ugly situation and understandably no one wants to come forward and uh, point fingers on the record because that's bad for everyone. I actually was listening to a- another podcast recently. You traitor! Um <laughs> <laughs> Traitor! Talk about this. This. Wait, wait, wait. Let me explain. The podcast is Script Notes, which is a screenwriting podcast with John August and Craig Mazin, two professional screenwriters. Um, they're actually friends with Lord and Miller, and they had Lawrence Kasdan on their show uh, a couple years ago, back when Force Awakens was about to come out. So they're kind of friends, and they know him too. And in their latest episode, they they were talking a bit about this. And uh, it's at, for anyone who's curious, it's episode three hundred six, and it's called Drama with an exclamation point. <laughs> And they're basically saying not to like trust any of these news sources because there's always drama on every f- movie set, and they have they have a really good perspective on it where they just say, look, not only are most of these articles wrong, and not just about this movie in particular, but in most movie drama articles that come out, uh, they're not only they're not just wrong, they are the opposite of true, like the the opposite of what happened. Like, you'll hear, oh, so-and-so was the bad guy, and they're making this person out to be like they were the problem, but in fact, the opposite was true. And they don't take any stance, obviously, on this, but uh, Craig Mason said, look, you know, we know them both, and we know stuff that, you know, people aren't talking about, and the truth of the matter is, is sometimes the answer to these things is just so boring, you'd be disappointed. You know, like, you'd be, if you knew what the actual problem was, you'd say, oh, well, that actually makes sense, and well, now I'm not excited anymore. And people like to get caught up in the speculation when you don't know anything. But if you were to actually know all the details, you would just say, oh, okay, I guess that's fine then. And it's really not a big deal. So looking into what Lord Miller said, they're like, sometimes creative differences. I'm kind of thinking maybe it is just simply they got into a room and they said, we think this should be funny. And Kazdan and Kennedy were probably like, well, we think it should be more serious. And they say, oh, all right, well, then maybe you should get someone else. And they're like, that's the end of it. I don't know. It's just an interesting thing. It, it, was, it was interesting to hear two other professionals say, k- kind of echo that statement without outright saying it. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's tricky because, I mean, this wasn't because of how this happened. This happened after filming was well underway, and therefore it could only have been a catastrophic breakdown of the situation. Now, granted, you know, these guys are close to the situation. They didn't offer any true insight other than that, you know, everything you know is wrong. And the thing about Star Wars is that, you know, fans of Star Wars have a long history of being informed about the production process, of that being part of the story. You know, even when uh, George Lucas is whitewashing the involvement of uh, his ex-wife and how much she gave to Star Wars, even even with certain egregious omissions such as that, you're still getting the story of how Star Wars was made in in large part. And that has stepped away more and more um, due to the nature of this industry. And we uh, we still have the Rogue One um like six months later special coming out uh, that's going to be out in about two weeks from now 
and there we're going to discuss everything that we learned after the film came out and and what we exactly think that means in terms of the Star Wars anthology films, uh, what sets that production apart from what we've seen so far on the saga films, and uh, and, and that that story because this is you know analyzing all this stuff it's 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 not important in the grand scheme of things certainly not the world's falling to pieces and we're talking about Star Wars but. <laughs> the um we we love pop culture and we love this you know this medium of entertainment and telling stories in the Star Wars universe because it's a it's a fun like pr- playground for a certain particular brand of science fantasy um and with the new era of Star Wars unfolding we're seeing a series of you know different paradigm shifts as to how these stories get told as what we see on the screen and how the stories get told as to how the films are made. And are we, you know, is it is Star Wars because they're making more more and more different kinds of flavors of Star Wars now? Is it is it becoming more of a product or is it, you know, what they're pitching to us, the general public, in that, you know, it's going to have vision every single time they're going to have vision. Um, and that's the, the dialogue that we've entered into right now with uh, the 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 weird mysteries behind what exactly happened with the filming of Rogue One and now what exactly happened with the filming of Han Solo how much vision is there actually room for Star Wars is is a very special piece of that pop culture in which that it's like you know science fantasy that has had an enduring legacy that is has at least to this point sometimes been as strong now as it ever was even when it came out initially and a lot of things don't have that there's probably like one per like medium, you know, like maybe like the Beatles with music or, you know, just that, that sort of thing. Like, but even then that, that sort of, they all dissipate in some way, but Star Wars hasn't. But these films now seem to be running into this sort of like, I don't know if they ha- are going to have that enduring legacy anymore, I guess. You know, that they, yeah. they, there is certainly the threat with the amount of films that are getting out and also like, no longer telling the oral history of of these films being made and the struggles and the innovations and everything else about like you know th- th- that's part of what's kept Star Wars so fresh for so long, and there's no longer that openness. So I think it is worth the discussion that we're having is like, you know, what is behind all these catastrophes and like why are they so quiet about it? Why is there like little truth and and that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, exactly. So we'll be going to that a lot in our uh, forthcoming Rogue One episode. But here's what we know about Han Solo via the Hollywood Reporter article. As always, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But this is perhaps one of the most comprehensive and, and believable uh, recounts of, of things that happened on the set. Um, there was discussion about uh, Lord Miller doing shoots with minimal variations on camera placement like three as opposed to the 12 or 15 that Lucasfilm would have hoped that happens in most major motion pictures. And that on top of that, um, complex scenes were happening with improv and that can't actually happen. You can only improvise so much before something in an action set piece or so on, you know, will fall apart. So, uh, there was problems with, uh, how much they were actually getting in a day's shoot. Um, and along with that, quote, deep fundamental philosophical differences in filmmaking styles, um, and the directors felt they were being given zero creative freedom, um, and they were being uh, asked to operate under extreme scheduling constraints and, uh, constraints, and were never given enough days for each scene from the very beginning. Um, you know, uh, maybe that's not true. 
or maybe that's a version of the truth. You know, that seems like a, a stress that seems quite likely. Um, and uh, another, a more severe one said, Lawrence, Lawrence Kajdan would not allow um, the Im improvisation and uh, demanded that every line from his script was said word for word. Uh, to appease him, Lord Miller would do several takes exactly as written and then shoot additional takes. Um, Kajdan was purportedly displeased with the dailies. Um, See, that... Once again, like you, you wonder how much truth there is to that. Because I mean, Lawrence Kazan, as as a veteran screenwriter, has to understand the you know the importance of. I mean, particularly a like a lot of his movies are famously like have impro improvised lines that are famous from them. But at the same time, Kazan's also been in, around for a long time, and he's kind of gotten an inflated ego about what I mean. I've heard him referred to as like the Godfather of Star Wars recently. Jesus. Like, you know, it's like, okay, The Force Awakens was not exactly like, you know, you know, an Oscar-winning script, and Return of the Jedi had its issues. I mean, Empire, you know, still sort of like a, you know, it, it up until he was hired for Force Awakens. I love how the narrative changed. It used to be Lawrence Kasdan was, was brought in to, like, clean up dialogue on a story that was, like, mostly George's. Like, George Lucas, and, and Lucas being Lucas also, like, gave, I want to say, also screenplay credit to the guy who did the first draft, which was Lee Brackett, even though like a lot of Lee's stuff didn't end up in the film. So now that he's been hired for Force Awakens and Han Solo, suddenly the narrative is, is Kasdan was responsible for Empire and Jedi because of what happened, I'm guessing, with the prequels. Now it was George screwed up the prequels, so now Kasdan was the one being given credit for Empire and Jedi. Like it's just interesting how things have sort of changed with the with how people perceive Lawrence Kasdan's involvement. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> well, uh, actually, uh, Matt uh, Lee Brackett is a woman first. I sorry. And second, <laughs> but second of all, I would actually argue that most of what you see in Empire Strikes Back was actually written by her. It's if you if you I mean if you would actually go back and read the first draft like uh, like all those true fans, uh, <laughs> you would see that it, it the 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 plot really closely follows what she wrote now granted it was a first draft and a lot of what she wrote was kind of stilted dialogue because again first draft you're going to make it better as it goes along right but you know i can see and uh, sadly the reason why she wasn't able to finish working on it was because she passed away after the first draft was written so i can easily see how george would be like oh let's get lawrence kazan in here and then they start working on it and they start fixing scenes here or there but with the ex with the exception of just a few key scenes, pretty much everything is the same. I mean, you got the Hoth battle and the structure is basically the same. The the back and forth of Luke training on Dagobah with Yoda and back to Han and Leia and their supposed romance. Will they? Won't they? And Cloud City and Lando and all these things. So it's all basically there. So I too am surprised of how much credit Kazdan is getting. Not to say that he's undeserving, but it's just. Hard, it's getting harder and harder to tell like where one writer ended and one began right and especially with the kind of stuff we're seeing with force awakens now uh and kazdan he wrote this film with his son and it's allegedly the last star wars he's ever going to write for some reason he's stepping back after this one so there's you know you could easily make a narrative where he wants this to be a swan song so um two goofballs goofing all over it ain't gonna fly for him but uh <laughs> <laughs> so so then allegedly Kennedy attempted to get Kazdan in the director's seat as a, like sort of an auxiliary role, like how Tony Gilroy directed a good portion of Rogue One. Um, but Lord and Miller were not, you know, going to play ball with that. 
Um, they replaced an editor with another editor and allegedly hired an acting coach for Alden Ehrenreich, who plays Han Solo, which seems insane because he's great. Why the hell would he need an acting coach, especially like midway through the film? I feel like an acting coach on set is not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I could be wrong, but I feel like that's not necessarily totally unheard of. But you're right. He's pretty great. And also, I feel like he already kind of comes with some of the swagger. Like, I feel like he had to have been cast with that I, with that in mind, certainly. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's the editor. The editor one actually strikes me as, as much more kind of glaring because like, you know, at some point. I don't know how much on a major blockbuster, like how much editing is going on during principal photography, but you would think that you'd want to wait till all of it was done, I guess, to get an idea of how you wanted the film to be edited in total, or maybe not, because you know what? Most blockbusters nowadays are horribly edited with no sense of like, you know, like a concise pace. So maybe they have to do it all at the same time and they just weren't happy with where it was going. It's a fair question. And, whereas the the acting coach thing is still up in the air i believe that uh editor's change up is somewhat confirmable so because yes. there's actual names attached to it um mm-hmm. and so yeah make of that what you will it's a it's a weird situation but here's something that wasn't in the hollywood reporter news and it's something that has been getting kicked around the internet like crazy lately i think we may have actually mentioned it in passing in our last episode because at that point it was very late breaking and uh also we didn't give any credence to it whatsoever it was kind of just like a huh fancy that that's weird um and that is a a, a sort of un un uh, an accusation that the performance that Aaron Rick was being asked to make was akin to Jim Carrey as Ace Ventura. Um, the the story goes like this: Aaron Rick voices concerns about the project um, to Lucasfilm. Uh, he was worried that the screwball comedy angle was uh, starting to interfere with the character of Han Solo, um, and a source described the you know his acting as being like Jim Carrey in Ace Ventura. Um, and so that's, that, that was what prompted him to go to Kathleen Kennedy. And, uh, that was a like, kind of like straw that broke the camel's back sort of situation. Here's the thing about this. This is total bullshit. This is some bizarre Jedi mind trick. The fact that it's like, that this has become like the most, uh, (laughs) like one of the biggest stories to come out of Lord Miller being fired. It's, it's bullshit. It is, it is fake news. This is a, a fake news Jedi mind trick piece of shit because here's the thing even even consequence of sound are are you know which we are a, a, an affiliate of like even their news team posted about this um and many major news sites posted about this it's it's the you know if you're in the news you're you have an obligation to report what else is being reported otherwise you're you're not reporting it you're not getting those clicks you're not servicing your your readership but there's there's a problem with you know it's and it's hard work. I should admit, it's it's extremely hard work to be in a news team because it's like a twenty four hour job. the The news cycle never ends now, and keeping up with it and making sure that you have adequately cited everything and have the full picture on something is virtually impossible. So in this case, all the sites, consequence of sound included, were citing Express as the source for this quote news uh, about what may have happened with Han Solo. But if you go to the Express article. Express cites Star Wars News Net. And Star Wars... There you go. There's the appropriate snickering. 
Star Wars News Net is basically in the same league as making Star Wars, though possibly not as accurate. This is the Star Wars equivalent, folks, of Breitbart posting some kind of garbage and having it, like, kick around the internet, getting reblogged because the headline is attractive until someone mistakes it for actual news and a credible site picks it up. Alrighty then. <laughs> um, you son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, it's, you know, I gotta hand it to, you know what, I'm gonna, like, a, a silent, nice applause for whoever has been initially putting that, like, ridiculous story out there. I mean, maybe somebody interpreted what was going on set as Ace Ventura-ish, but, like, I really doubt that that is, like, there's no way that was what they were going for. <laughs> well, like, especially because... Um... <laughs> Unless Jim Carrey was the acting coach. <laughs> well, here's the thing, right? So, <laughs> so are you ready for me to get really conspiratorial? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. I've been... I'm I'm very I'm very sensitive to how conspiratorial I've become in these State of the Empire shows because I know that it's it's insane but at the same time because Lucasfilm has to play everything so safe they are understandably not forthcoming with any like true stories of how the shit gets made and with something as absurd as the Lord Miller firing it's easy to understand where they would you know maybe want to uh fix this a little bit so i don't believe that lucasfilm is in the habit of you know generating its own fake news i don't think lucasfilm for a second would you know would throw this bullshit this ace ventura thing out there but but remember when in the cycle of fake news around the american election of 2016 there was a lot of stories generated and those stories were then proliferated by uh, the calculated placement of certain certain bots and news feeds and so on you could easily do the same thing with any kind of damage control so lucasfilm doesn't say say lucasfilm doesn't make its own its own stories up to try to field this but they see what comes out because this is totally just one quote from some random person maybe even making a joke you know maybe even like being kind of sarcastic when they were like you know giving their info to star wars newsnet um or it's just straight up not true and but then this gets out there and this is the one that like that that takes that takes hold and maybe is even nudged by an outside agency let you know to take hold because here's what it does it it makes lord miller look bad it proliferates the idea that they were making a comedy which as we're about to as i'm about to to showcase they weren't necessarily and it seems very increasingly likely that they were not doing that um there's no screwball comedy aspect to what they were doing um and it also paints Alden Ehrenreich as a hero, whereas Lucasfilm wouldn't want to say, oh, yeah, we, we totally hired an acting coach for our, our lead who was playing Han Solo. That was totally necessary. This says Alden, like, was being asked to do something that he didn't want to do, and he came forward. He's a whistleblower. So he saves the day. Han Solo saves the day, and then bye-bye, directors. No screwball Ace Ventura Han Solo. Fuck you. It's, a, it's not a great narrative, but... It's a better narrative than uh, two auteurs were kicked off and replaced with a safe bet. Yeah, no, I I see. I I, I kind of like where that's going as far as conspiracy theories are concerned. Because like, I you're I right. hate it. it. I don't want this to be my life. <laughs> well, regardless, I mean, just because it's a conspiracy theory doesn't mean that it's not true. Mm. Doesn't mean that it's not false. But you know, I I 
I, I would like that, you know, it would be very clever of them to make the spin that Aaron Reich, you know, so you don't lose faith in him and the project as you say like, well, you know what? He has a, you know, he stood up for, for taste. He stood up for the fans to give us the best movie possible, you know? Yeah. So here's, here's the counterpoint to that Ace Ventura bullshit. And it comes from, surprisingly, Anthony Bresnikan uh, of EW, who's like the number one Star Wars reporter. We talked about his article in last episode, and that article has since been updated to include um, this message, which I'm going to read pretty much in its entirety. Other sources have come forward to clarify, although Lord and Miller were indeed going off script to create new dialogue and action, there is disagreement over whether they were adding humor. One person with knowledge of the dispute said they were clashing with Lucasfilm over changes to the script made spur of the moment during filming, but improvisation in this case does not always mean comedy. If there was a genre the directors were trying to impose upon the Han Solo film, it was more of a Western than screwball comedy, according to the source, who added that had Lord Miller wanted to shift the tone to humor, they wouldn't have hired cinematographer Bradford Young, who is known for dramas like Arrival and A Most Violent Year. Another individual close to the movie agrees that it wasn't a question about how much comedy would be in the film. While there are many variations on the region for the class clash the consensus uh, now is that the filmmakers were encouraging significant improvisation from the actors which some at lucasfilm believed was shifting the story off course and that is the most realistic and i think believable summation of this entire thing honestly i think the bradford young hiring is the thing that just stands out to me as like yeah there's so much bullshit going on in all of this but yes it's just not like he's not the person that would have come on board this project unless you know there was some sort of like dramatic vision you know unless they lied to him <laughs> maybe, maybe he was sitting there maybe every day brad for was like man this 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 deal's getting worse all the time <laughs> i mean maybe so what i still want to know is I, we, we have no information as to whether or not he's still working on the film with ron howard on we don't know that's true. Cinematographer is a terrible thing to lose. You lose your the entire eye of what you've filmed so far. Ugh, I really hope that's not the case. Yeah, me too. He's he's a top notch dude who really takes his work seriously, and no matter who's directing, he's an asset to this film. Um, and and the Bradford Young thing is something I've harped on since day one when I published my uh, my op ed on Consequence, talking about how uh this this firing was kind of a smoking gun for things not being well in the process of creating these star wars stories and uh and that you know the bradford young pointed to this not being about comedy it being about you know maybe maybe some degree of control which is you know that's what's happening right now um and there was a comment that was posted to that and you know we typically ignore comments because it's the internet and they're genuinely awful um but i i shared it with matt and doug and uh and and matt you had some <laughs> some response to it, which I think was is worth discussing um, in, sure. in the show because it, it sort of points to a a problem with um, a certain general consensus about about Hollywood pictures in general. So here, here's the comment as it was written. Doesn't the fact that The Force Awakens and Rogue One were both enormous successes and also both pretty good movies rather negate this entire argument? If the movies were off and the argument being that uh, that there was there's something going wrong at, Luc at Lucasfilm. If the movies were awful, a la the WBDC efforts, then that's one thing. But they aren't. They're good. Lucasfilm knows what they want, and they know what they're doing, and are extremely protective of that vision, and are doing a pretty good job of it so far. 
This isn't a sandbox for bold experimental visions or risky boundary pushing, improvising, changing the script with the story as you go. These are enormous $200 million plus mainstream juggernauts that need directors who aren't going to break the mold. And frankly, the truth is, we all know that the directors of these films are simply not as important as they might be on other movies. There's this self-cultivated perception that of directors as the most important people on a movie, but the truth of a big budget film of big budget filmmaking is that it's a producer's game. And yes, it's nice to find someone talented and exciting who can collaborate with that producerial vision and play within the lines which rain johnson is clearly happy to do while bringing a bit of an auteur edge but if that choice has another approach in mind and won't budge they have to go whoever they are i like the idea of a lord miller han solo movie as much as the next person but i actually respect the cojones it takes to fire the hottest filmmakers in town mid-production which is a typo I wanted to read, um, in order to preserve a creative vision, which, don't forget, is working like gangbusters so far. Matt, you have the floor. I, I you know, and if, I mean, if that's not just the most, like, perfect summary of, like, what's wrong with, like, a lot of fandom and, you know, just in general, whether it's Star Wars or otherwise, like, you know, pretty good and not great. Like, the barometer of success over the course of that comment was essentially these movies are doing really well. They're making a billion dollars. In the case of Force Awakens, they're making $2 billion. Why, as fans, do you consider that a success? Like, that's my question to fans in general. Why does it matter to you that these movies make a billion dollars or $2 billion? Like, that doesn't mean these movies were good or great. Like, Star Wars itself was a auteur's vision of science fantasy in the 1970s. You know, like, that, that harkened back both to the old and looked forward into what, like, filmmaking could be. Like, none of these movies in this system are going to ever be that. I, I could be wrong about that, of course. There might be something that breaks through. Well, the more, but, the, like, the more they sort of make, the attitude, more chances they increase of that happening. Yeah, certainly. And it's just... I. I don't understand why fans care how much money or how financially viable their franchises are. Well, to, to play devil's advocate, I, I think this, what this person is saying is they're not equating the quality of it with the amount of money it makes, but rather that's all the studios care about, so we may as well accept the fact that that's all we're going to get. Which is also but bad. Yeah, which is also bad. Right, like, which is what, bad. Which I, you know, I disagree. Because well, the, the, other, the other thing that we got to keep in mind is like, if they're saying, oh, you know, they'll hire and fire anybody because all they really want is someone who will do what they're told. Well, if that's the case, then why are they making these announcements like, we're going to hire visionary people. We're going to get people that are really good at these specific things, like announcing that they're going to hire uh, Lord and Miller to do a Han Solo movie or to get J.J. Abrams to do this. Like, they're, 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 making, they're making a statement with who they're hiring to work on these things. If they were just getting pushover people, well... Wouldn't, wouldn't we get, like, no-name people that we've never heard of or people whose work that we already know is, like, super mediocre to be even begin with, you know? Like, and, and, and Captain Kennedy has talked about wanting to do cool new things with it. And also, this is to also... They make it sound like that they all they want to do is make a money machine, which part of them probably does, but I don't think anyone sets out to make a mediocre movie. They all want to make the next Empire Strikes Back. Like, who wouldn't want to make the next Empire Strikes Back? Because everybody knows that unless you're making a film like Boss Baby to just you know fill the void and a gap in a schedule somewhere, is you need to you need to make a movie that's going to have lasting appeal because that's where the real money is. Yeah, residuals, man. My my like one sentence reply to this was because uh, he, he used the term pretty good quite a bit. Is good as the enemy of great. You know, <laughs> like if I replied to this dude, 
Good, good is the enemy of great. That's all there is to it. Star Wars is a brand that they are very protective of, and therefore, these films should be great. Not good, great. And that's not a stupid fan demand. That's not me not accepting that some, you know, some films are going to be duds or not as, not as awesome every now and then. But it's just looking at the landscape that we're looking at right now and seeing that things are confused right now. And they're trying to find their footing. And maybe they will and maybe everything will sort out. I mean, that's entirely possible. It totally is. Um, but they're not, they're not having a, a very open dialogue about it, which is the status quo these days. And I think that needs to change. I think the status quo needs to change about the open dialogue. And it's not unreasonable to ask for great stories, because even outside the original three films, we've seen great stories in other mediums and in other places. So it's definitely possible. It's not like, well, those were just flukes. They were just super lucky twice in a row, and then everything else was shit after that. It's like, we've seen other amazing things, so we know what can happen. Yeah. <laughs> Again, we'll be discussing these kind of topics more uh, in two weeks with our um, with our Rogue One recap special, and... Uh, then after that, our next episode is going to be hinged around D23, the annual Disney convention, July 14th through 16th in Anaheim, um, which Matt, you'll be at, right? Uh, most likely. Most likely. I mean, it's uh, it, and there's there's the place where you where it's even more dubious to get into is a certain panel, Disney Marvel, Disney Marvel Studios and Lucasfilm live action. Um, this is the like the big e-ticket attraction um for for d23 uh the description says uh featuring never before seen footage surprise star appearances and more you'll get a behind the scenes glimpse at an exciting array of spectacular films on the horizon cell phones cameras and all recording devices will be checked for this presentation just big deal i'm pretty sure two years ago they didn't they certainly didn't check my, my phone two years ago um but they did for the animation panel and the animation panel was crazy with surprise announcements and guests. So I imagine they'll be doing quite a lot at this uh, live action version this year. Now is, is star Wars really ready to announce the next thing, you know, down the line? It seems like maybe if they were now would be a good time to sort of just bottle it up and wait to see what happens with Han Solo. <laughs> <laughs> I hope, I hope all this, this drama has not put a, like a, a, a sort of a snag in plans regarding uh, like future anthology channels. Because if you remember, Kathleen Kennedy said they were going to be making their decision this summer on where the franchise is going next. She, she did. Um, what she said recently was, I certainly foresee movies past nine. Uh, whether or not we carry on the Scar Skywalker saga, uh, George always intended nine movies. And if we do that, it's something we're not talking about right now. Um, if the story warrants it, we'll absolutely have more Skywalkers. This is me paraphrasing. Um, if it actually inspires new ideas, then we'll probably head in that direction. We just don't know yet. Um, but uh, she said uh, so shortly after the Vanity Fair article about episode eight that um, I wouldn't say this year, but certainly n next year that they would know what was really coming. We have a couple things right now we're circling and we'll make a decision um, pretty shortly. Uh, it's probably for 2020 and we will make a decision by June. So... Maybe, but one thing we know, unfortunately, even though we were, this is one of the things we were most certain about that we were perhaps most wrong about in our State of the Empire history, it won't be Obi-Wan. Um, recently, after Star Wars Celebration, where Ewan McGregor suspiciously did not show up because everyone, I was talking to other news people and everyone thought, this is it, we're going to get the Obi-Wan announcement, Ewan McGregor's going to be here, he has to be here, everyone else is here, Um he didn't show up, and uh, he didn't produce a video like Liam Neeson and uh, Samuel Jackson did. Um, 
someone talked to him at EW and he said, there's no official offer. I haven't met them about it or anything. I think they've got films to make until the 2020s. I don't think it's going to happen soon if it happens at all. However, two separate sources told Omega Underground that Lucasfilm is looking to have Mr. Roboto creator Sam uh, Esmail write a Star Wars anthology film. And uh, he's taken pitch meetings with the studio and the project that they at least reported, Omega Underground, that was likely is the Kenobi movie. Is it dead? Is it yeah, alive? Watch, watch uh, if Disney recast Ewan McGregor just for the hell of it. <laughs> no. Just for the chaos. <laughs> yeah, they're really just feeling a big chaos demon. That's all. That's that's what their entire like business structure is. Uh-huh. Yeah, it'll, it'll be an Obi-Wan Kenobi movie, but it'll be a young Obi-Wan Kenobi movie, like a child. <laughs> <laughs> so, bouncing back to The Last Jedi, which comes out December 15th this year. Um, last episode, we cited some toy names, some leaked toy names, because like some some data started to come out about toys to be released uh, this Force Friday in September, right? Um, uh, I believe it's September first. Well, we've got uh, we have more toy code names, and uh, they we can really dig into this State of the Empire style because there's some weird stuff in here. Uh, this is from a Netherlands website called Otto Simon. We have some of the things we saw before, mentions of, like, characters called Beta, Delta, Foxtrot. Um, we believe that Foxtrot is Rey uh, because she'd been reportedly called that um, around the set. Um, and then there's there are multiple mentions of Victor, Victor Lightsaber, Victor Electronic Mask. So Victor certainly must be Kylo. So that's two down. <laughs> uh, but there's, there's a lot more to go in, in sort of decoding all this. There's things like Smart Delta, Hero Series Tango White. There's also a Hero Hero Series Foxtrot Gray, which is Ray. Um, cool Beta Gray, Foxtrot Gray. Class D Vehicle, Class C Vehicle, Class B Vehicle Assortment, Class A Creature and Droid. What are the point of the classes? How do those somehow, how are all those things categorized together? I do love all the code names. It just may, it's just fun. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I think maybe is most telling is there's something called the Beak Electronic Plush, which may mean a plush figure of the weird bird creatures that are said to inhabit Octo. That isn't a Disney thing. <laughs> <laughs> there's also the Figure Collection Orange Assortment, which could be a collection of Rebel Pilots, which would be awesome. That's cool. That's just a guess. But here's some of the weirdest stuff. There's some lightsabers. And maybe when they say lightsaber, maybe they don't really mean lightsaber. I don't know. There's one called Jedi Knight lightsaber, so that seems pretty straightforward. But there's also spinning lightsaber and projectile lightsaber. I are we those gonna... are just elaborate <laughs> code words. Well, <laughs> search, your, search your feelings, Doug. <laughs> We know we've seen spinning lightsabers and projectile lightsabers in Rebels, but these were labeled as Episode Eight. E Eight was the you know in the in the code. Maybe Snoke really is Ezra, and he's still using the shooting lightsaber. <laughs> That's the only way. That's the only way I would accept it. But you would accept it. I would accept it if, if like, like Luke gets face-to-face with Snoke, and he's like, all right, Snoke, got you now. 
and he's and Snoke pulls out his lightsaber, and you're like, oh shit, it's about to go down. And even Luke is like ready to go, but all of a sudden, pew pew from the handle of Snoke's <laughs> lightsaber. I'd be like, oh shit! And then, then some of his like his knockoff Imperial Red Guards come down from these helicopter blades. I'd be like, okay, now this confirmed. This is confirmed for Ezra. My dreams have come true. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if we did see an old school Inquisitor lightsaber in this film, that would be kind of neat. <laughs> yeah, I, I had I had mixed reactions to the to the lightsaber copters, but I I'd be okay seeing it play out on screen. <laughs> I, I I hate them even in Rebels. But here's the question then: If they have helicopter blade lightsabers, and you have the shooting lightsabers, you have all these other fucking lightsabers, why is Kylo so shitty? <laughs> I, like I mean, it. really, like, what's the reason? Because it's gothic, Doug. You don't understand. Yeah, because all gothic shit is really shittily made. I mean, yeah. You bought it at Hot Topic, right? Production values are not high there. I was going to say, he didn't even buy it at Hot Topic. He fucking welded it in his garage. It's real cool, right? My dad didn't <laughs> show me how to do this. I figured it out myself. Yeah, I figured it out all by myself. <laughs> You tell me that fake ass shit. <laughs> Why would you buy it in a store when you could just build your own? God. What if the projectile lightsaber like shot its blade off? <laughs> like it ejects the kyber. Like the, like, <laughs> like a like a Spetsnaz combat knife or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> just spring loaded, ping! Like there goes the blade. Just just imagine. Aren't isn't that what blasters are in the Star Wars universe? <laughs> yes, it's. I mean, it would be so pointless and so stupid. Um, it would be it would be a, it would be like the musket equivalent of a blaster, just one <laughs> shot, boom, and done. There's also a thing that this might not be worth reading into, but there was uh, RP choose your path lightsaber. RP means role play. That's the designation they typically give to any kind of product like a mask or a lightsaber or anything. But a choose your path lightsaber is an interesting thing because it points to maybe what's happening with Ray. Like maybe there's more story that could be read into that this one little product than than we think, and that she's going to have to. Like Luke might actually give her uh, an opportunity to prove herself and like choose the dark side or not in this film. Or it could just be a lightsaber that can change color depending on if you're role playing. Like choose your path. Like you can be, you know, you Which, can make it bleed and be bad, or you can make it blue <laughs> and be good. That's a perfectly reasonable toy. It's a perfectly reasonable toy, and that's the probably the most logical thing. But here at State of the Empire, sometimes logic doesn't rule over us. Um, on to episode 9, we got a little bit more detail about some aspects of the script. We know that uh, Colin Trevorrow delivered a, delivered a script uh, in early December, but things changed drastically when Carrie Fisher died. Um, what we've heard is that 8 is allegedly unchanged, unchanged but, uh, but 9, they had to make some big changes. And um, way back... When Ryan Johnson was first announced, um, they said that he was writing and directing eight and writing nine, and apparently that hasn't been the case. And according to Twitter, he said uh, he hasn't been involved in writing it at all. Um, Which once again sounds like a very strange, uh, like quiet, like no explanation on that one. You know, like he definitely was announced eight and nine. Yeah, but suddenly it's just not the case anymore. Yeah, and ugh, it's weird. There's lots of weird things. They 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 change a lot after they announce it. And 
that's kind of abnormal. <laughs> so. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but Trevor has a lot of great things to say about the process of, of writing Star Wars. He says everyone is in communication. There's such a genuine want to get this right. Um, one of the great misconceptions people have is that there's some kind of great corporate overlord that is dictating the story and everybody um, <laughs> that like you just have to sell the most toys. He says the reality is, just, is that it's a small group of people. Um, none of them are corporate. Uh, all of them are creatives and all of them are genuinely very sincerely wanting to do the work of their lives. Um, and he, he loves being surrounded by Star Wars PhDs, as he calls them, uh, and engage in really challenging questions. Um, not just about what happens, but why it happens and what it all means. But, um, you know, we've been really critical of Trevorrow here on the show because uh, none of us have good feelings about Jurassic World. And uh, then we went back and didn't have good feelings about Safety Not Guaranteed. And, uh, and then we saw the trailer for Book of Henry. <laughs> We're just getting trashed. It is, yeah. See, uh, and to be fair, he did not direct that trailer. No, but uh, but he did direct the film, and uh, Consequence of Sound gave it a D plus, and uh, by some accounts, that's a very kind rating. Uh, Vulture's uh, Emily Yoshida said, It does not suffice to call the Book of Henry bad. It is non-functional, so poorly conceived from the ground up as to slip out of the grasp of the, unusual, of the usual standards one applies to narrative film. It might be admirable if it wasn't such a torture to watch. Ugh, hot damn. Yeah, uh, I read that because it was very scalding and funny, but also a great summation of basically every other review I read for it. I should yeah. see it and oh, I should yeah, judge it all, myself. They're all tearing it apart. And also, I wasn't sure. Are you sure that was for Book Henry or for was Jurassic, Jurassic World? <laughs> it was Book Henry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just checking. You never know. And in this case, if Lucasfilm decided to, you know, get really aggressively um, mandated directorially with uh, Episode Nine, I don't think I would mind so much. My question is, when are they just going to give Tony Gilroy his own Star Wars movie? <laughs> like, well, they already have my dream come true of giving one to Ron Howard. <laughs> I told you way back. If you go back to like one of the first episodes, I told you one of my choice. I would have loved Ron Howard, but one of my other choices would have been Frank Oz. That'd be cool. I I just wish that if they gave Ron Howard a movie, I wish it would have been, you know, from the ground up and not 
cleaning up somebody's mess. It's such a weird move. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe uh, if it repairs well, you know, we do get to see Ron Howard take on um, Willow. Well, I was going to say Han <laughs> too, but sure, Willow. What if, what if the sequel to the Han Solo Solo movie serves as a sequel to Willow as well? Okay. <laughs> Done. Done. You so have now my interest. We have, we have Aiden Ehrenreich learning from a older, wiser Mad Mardigan. Yes. Uh, granted, I can't imagine that happening without him learning how to sword fight, and Han totally doesn't know how to sword fight. Uh, sure. But, you know, uh, maybe... Uh... <laughs> nah, I can't make it work, Matt. I can't make it work. <laughs> Because if if Han Solo if Han Solo goes to the wor- the world that Willow takes place on he's gonna see magic he's gonna see sword fighting it's gonna be it's all just an aspect of the Force they they kind of they kind of retconned magic with Clone Wars because the Night Sisters and of course that was from the old expanded universe also but he's see- I mean he's seen a lot of crazy things from one end of the galaxy to the other but he's never seen anything that suggests that magic exists to paraphrase because I was thinking. By the way, I, you know, we still don't have a firm timeline on this Han Solo movie as far as when it takes place in the universe. But I am curious to know if they would be able to utilize uh, Rogue One characters in a future movie if they're still making movies that take place before New Hope. Because I definitely think you could take Aaron Reich past, especially if this movie ends up being very successful. You could take Aaron Reich past the New Hope and potentially put him in with the Rebel Alliance and maybe he's working with... You know, like they could even recast the Leia. I don't know. That they may not be thinking that anymore now that Carrie Fisher's dead. But if they had a sequel take place before A New Hope with Leanna Halleck, you know, obviously that's what you know Jen Erso was going by before Rogue One. You know, like maybe they cross paths, or maybe Basil and Cherries instead. Sorry, Basil and True. <laughs> yeah, you gotta you gotta clean this up. Uh, so, <laughs> so we haven't had a chance to address this on the show before, but um. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely we, worth addressing. <laughs> Baze Malba and Trout Mway from Rogue One. We came up with some cute names for them. Was it Colin who did this? Yeah, it was a a very hasty autocorrect. <laughs> instead of Baze Malba, it's it's Basil, and then instead of Trout, it's Cherries. So we've been calling them behind the scenes Basil and Cherries, and there's emojis for that. So <laughs> please adapt this into your lifestyle as well. We highly recommend it. It will delight you every day <laughs> moving on to comics it's been a lot of surprise announcements lately <laughs> for starters uh there's a mace windu comic coming out i what <laughs> yeah it seems like now with beginning with anakin and obi-wan and then following up with the darth maul comic there's a prequel miniseries at all times which is shocking this in this case, it's a five issue miniseries coming in August by Matt Owens, who's the TV writer for Luke Cage, and illustrated by Dennis Cohen, who co created the Milestone Universe that was folded into DC Comics. That's where like Static Shock comes on, uh, from, and so on. This guy also produced the Boondocks TV series. Uh, Dennis Cohen is like uh, he's sort of a Renaissance man, and uh, I don't know that he's done like a full run of a comic book in a while. So this is pretty cool. Um, the story is this, for over a thousand generations, the Jedi have been the peacekeepers of the galaxy, but now, at the dawn of the Clone Wars, they find themselves in a new role, generals of the Army of the Republic. As Mace Windu, one of the Jedi's greatest warriors, leads a small unit of Jedi into battle shortly after the war begins, the Jedi must make peace with their new role or be lost to the violence around them. 
I I think Marvel is much more aware um, uh, that the prequels provide a much better sandbox for telling stories in Star Wars universe than uh, the original trilogy and like and and certainly the sequel trilogy, which they've given very very little ground on. Um, for obvious reasons, they don't want to interfere with where the movies are going, but uh, I'm okay with them having a and and Mace Windu seems to be the first of a series. Like it has this label, like Jedi of the Republic. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, so I think it's like Jedi of the Republic, Mace Windu. So I'm curious if we'll then eventually oh. get Plo Koon, Kayati Mundi, like just a whole group. That so, would be, be crazy. <laughs> um, we also. I don't think we had the opportunity to mention it on the show, but like there's Rogue One prequel comics. Uh, finally, like this, there were Rogue One prequel comics announced that there were going to be some. They were canceled before the comic convention where they were going to say who was actually on these books. And this is all part of the drama of, hey, guess what? Everything that people have like understated about Rogue, everything changing for Rogue One, it's very, very true. It's very, very, very true. We don't know how far these projects got developed before they were canceled far enough. They couldn't, you know, reconfigure them. So, uh, we are getting a Cassian and K2 SO special, a 40 page one shot also coming in August written by Dwayne Swarzynski, uh, with art by Fernando Blanco, uh, who's a very designy stylistic artist. Um, and it shows how Cassian met K2. And Swarzynski, he's a pretty cool writer. I haven't loved his like main stream books much but his book the black hood for black mask comics is one of the greatest modern hard-boiled stories that, that's out there so if he can breathe some of that into star wars i am all for it now um there's been a, a crossover story happening recently um nothing as involved or expansive as the vader down storyline that took place between the first darth vader series and the Star Wars series that takes place uh, just after A New Hope. Uh, that Star Wars series, written by Jason Aaron, is still ongoing, but now it's crossed over with Dr. Aphra, the book that spun out of the original Kieran Gillen Darth Vader series. Um, and those two books did a storyline called The Screaming Citadel recently, which, which concluded. And Aaron, of a comic shop, has a theory, <laughs> a very State of the Empire-style theory that I don't believe at all, uh, he thinks that Dr. Afra and Luke are Ray's parents. <laughs> eh. Now, of course, that's impossible because why would Lucasfilm allow Ray's backstory to be established in the comic books? That seems like something they would want to confront in the films, and if they wanted to elaborate it on, that would happen after the fact. Granted, Dr. Afra is very popular. She's getting her own Star Wars Black Series figure, which is the first comic character from the new era of Star Wars to get that treatment. But uh, the reason he thinks this is that they, like, spoiler free, they they don't have a moment. There's no romantic tension between the two of them, but uh, Afra having treated Luke like the bumpkin he is, because this takes place right after New Hope, and Luke is still kind of, like, really naive, uh, she realizes Luke is the real deal after thinking she can manipulate him and so on, she sees the goodness in him and he makes her feel terrible about herself. So one could 
speculate there might be something there, though Afra is at the very least, uh, she's at very least a lesbian. She might be bisexual, but she's um, has a relationship with uh, Sana Staros, who the woman who famously uh, called herself Han Solo's wife for reasons that I still don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah they kind of dropped the impact of that huh yeah which is another thing that as we mentioned in the past may point to things pertaining to the han solo film and them having a directive and then switching things and saying hey actually don't confront this yet or and maybe one of the characters who's been cast in the film is actually that character we don't know we don't know an awful lot yeah <laughs> Um, another weird piece of comic news is that IDW is putting out a Star Wars comic. IDW, if you're not familiar with them, are a they're one of the biggest uh, publishers that's not Marvel or DC. They do a lot of um, books with uh, other properties, like they do all the Hasbro comic books. And this is a book that's coming out uh, September 6th. It's called Star Wars Adventures, and it tells mostly original stories. Um, they say the book will have a will rotating creative teams and uh, each issue will feature a lead story about popular characters and backup stories with lesser known or fan favorite characters with Maz Kanata as the narrator. Um, some of the back, backup stories will not be entirely canon, which of course implies that the primary stories will be. The first issue is written by Kavan Scott, um, who's done a lot of Doctor Who stuff and Skylanders books, and it's illustrated by Eisner nominated artist Derek Charm of uh, Jughead, the recent Jughead. Um, which is quite good if you're not keeping up with how Archie has facelifted everything they have, and uh, it's exciting. Um, and this story is about Rey's adventures on Jakku prior to The Force Awakens and her relationship with Unkar Plutt. So if you want to know what's up with that, well, we can finally get some more information on whatever the fuck kind of weird relationship they've got. And I just want to take a quick moment. You mentioned IDW, like, they recently published, uh, I don't know why, maybe like on behalf of Marvel, the, the um, collection of all the old LA Times syndicated newspaper Star Wars strips, which were part of the old expanded universe way back in the day, very dubiously part of it. But, wow. you know, there are a lot of classic things came out of that. And for a long time, they were very, very difficult to get a hold of. And like bits and pieces in this various like probably only like 60% was ever collected officially by Dark Horse and various like issues but all over the place and they've been putting it together they released the first volume about a month or two ago and it is such an amazing collection like I would really highly recommend it to any like real hardcore like pulp Star Wars fans it's amazing IDW has a very unique relationship in the universe of, star of uh, comic book publishers because they're friends with everybody. They do um, these prestige reprints of rare stuff or artist editions uh, books where you can just see the original art in like large scale format, the size that they were actually like inked in and drawn in. They, I, I guess no one feels particularly threatened by them. They're, they're a giant in their own right and it's kind of turning into the big three, not the big two in terms of the comic industry right now. Though actually really the big four because Image is a powerhouse um, of you know independent work, but as far as like corporate material, um, IDW just has a huge market share now. So it's like the the comic industry is uh, it's growing. There's room for more people, and and it's exciting. And the reason that this is happening um, is that Marvel has a weird relationship with all ages books. They don't believe that they can publish them. They for some reason I, they feel like they don't have the infrastructure for doing that. Um, Nerdy Show co-host Brian Clevenger. Uh, did work for Marvel in the All Ages series before they shut that entire thing down. 
they kind of like it, it's been the subject of much debate as to whether or not like what exactly any of that means but clearly they uh they wanted to have all ages star wars content and said well idw you cater to that not exclusively by any means idw releases lock and key uh the book by joe hill and it's fucked up and awesome um but they have a distribution and infrastructure for this kind of thing so even though marvel totally could do this they don't so oh well idw are very capable people and they can totally handle this it should also be noted the backup story for issue one is a quote comical tale of clone catastrophe so they really are doing everything. We'll have some episode seven and some prequel stuff all in one book. <laughs> hey, here's something we haven't done in a while. How about an indie inquiry? Crack that whip. <laughs> so uh, the old release date for Indiana Jones was July 19th, 2019. But there's a new release date. <laughs> it's July 10th, 2020. Spielberg is, of course, confirmed as director. Uh, Harrison Ford's confirmed as Indiana Jones. And uh, what's new is that it's been officially confirmed that Lucas has nothing to do with the story whatsoever. Speaking in an interview with uh, Collider, David Cope said that there's been no consulting with Lucas about the story for the next film. He said, he's not on it to my knowledge. I haven't had no contact with him. When asked what the film was kind of going to be about, I mean, obviously there's nothing set in stone yet. um, But he said, I think Kingdom of the Crystal Skull being set in 1957, there was a conscious desire to say, much like the two... The other ones were World War II movies set in the 30s and early 40s. This is 57, so a lot of our influences are going to be science fiction movies. Uh, you got that with the original script. Jeb Stewart took the first shot at it with Indiana Jones and the Saucermen from Mars. That was a really conscious decision that dictated a lot about what the story would be and what the movie would be like. And I think that was followed through on really nicely. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Um, I thought Steve did a really good job with that. I don't know that the idea was most suited to an Indiana Jones movie. There we go. Um, but that was what we did. So we tried to be very careful with the selection of the MacGuffin and the areas and the errors to give ourselves. He's talking about the new movie here. The errors to give ourselves as much latitude to make the best kind of Indiana Jones movie that we most want to see. And that he, he says the importance of that um, era-based MacGuffin is a big deal. I, I, I will say just Crystal Skull's defense. Actually, it's not even in its defense. I just don't think it went far enough. Like, I think it, it took that 50s thing in an interesting direction at first. And then all of a sudden it abandoned it to try to make it into a normal Indiana Jones film in the jungle and in the, you know, snakes and everything else. And suddenly the... The communists became more like Nazis, and I don't. It just—it really yeah, did it transform, more. yeah. Yeah, it's just. I think if it had kept going, because I felt like the movie was getting better as I noticed that the era was tra- transforming. Like you know, just when you start to notice that, like you know, he's gotten older, like things have changed, and and then all of a sudden it, it just reverted. So I, I do agree with him. I think there's. It's very interesting to see it that way. That you know, he's like, oh, it's the fifties. I gotta go look at science fiction. If you're already at 57, now you start looking in the 60s, what do you look at? Like, kind of psychedelic art films? Do you look at James Bond? Like, I think there's quite a few things that you could go with that. But once again, it probably shouldn't be an indie movie. Yep. It probably shouldn't be. Yeah. What they really should do is cast a new indie and bookend the movie with, uh, just like old, or just with young Indiana Jones, just bookend with old indie telling the adventures of you know a younger actor playing him and then you could just transition from there if they plan on doing any sequels i i still think they just got to go the james bond route where just get a new actor 
tell another story in the 1930s that may or may not tie into any of the previous stories. Just re reboot the universe every time you get a new actor. And if it doesn't work out, get another actor. You know, just, just that's keep fair. I, I just just because just because Harrison's involved, I, I sure, agree sure. with you, Doug, on like a basic level. But because he's already signed, and that's yeah. If, he's, if, if Harrison yeah. Ford must be involved, then I mean, you could do it. It's just really difficult and not likely to happen. Hey, maybe maybe it can be uh, Alden Ehrenreich. <laughs> <laughs> do you like i mean there's no way aging him they just age him up yeah I, there, well i mean there, there's no way like like talk about like just wanting to inherit you know the, the title of harrison ford if you manage to snag both you know like indy and han like next thing you know they're gonna announce a new jack ryan film starring <laughs> aaron Reich. and they're gonna do a remake of regarding henry yeah, yeah and mosquito <laughs> coast <laughs> Moving on to video games, we've talked a lot about Battlefront 2, but we finally have some information about the game being produced by Visceral. Um, this is the game helmed by Amy Hennig of uh, Uncharted fame. Uh, we know a couple things for certain, and then a bunch of rumors. And one of the things we know for certain is it's not going to be called Star Wars 1313. Just before Christmas, Disney failed to renew that title's trademark. We know that this game is based in some part on the promise of the action platformer that Star Wars 1313 was. Um, but uh, the United States Patent and Trademark Office currently classifies 1313 as abandoned because no statement of use extension requested time filed after notice of allowance was issued. What we do have is something that's being called Project Ragtag. And we have some details we'll share with you here. And then we have some details that might actually be so story sensitive that we're actually going to put them behind the blast doors. So here's what we know. And all of this comes from making Star Wars, who feel very confident about a great deal of this. Um, this game sounds extremely complex um, and practically film quality in its tonality. And it takes place just before The Empire Strikes Back. One of the people working on the game is uh, Todd Sashwick. Um, he's a writer, but he might also be playing the main character because he's also an actor. He was in uh, the 12 Monkeys TV show, Supernatural, and Gotham. Um, the main character's name is Dodger, which is a nickname because he dodged the draft into Imperial service, leaving home on very bad terms, ending up a wanted man by virtue of his dodge and because he's on the Empire's Alderaan Survivors list, which is something that was established in Mark Wade's Princess Leia miniseries. He uses a light whip slash, and, uh, slash grapple stick in a blaster. So like maybe like some kind of space Indiana Jones? You and know I hate the light whip idea. Yes, that's been around for a long time, back in Marvel's original Star Wars run. And I don't believe there's any precedent for it in the new continuity, but... Uh, well, we knew there was going to be some kind of uncharted -y kind of things happening. Not that Nathan Drake used a whip, but it doesn't seem inappropriate because we know we know this guy's going to be climbing on shit, right? Like that's that's what's going to happen. Yeah. So he uses this uh, this tool to ensnare his enemies um, with his left hand and then blast them with the pistol in his right hand. Uh, and he also has a field medic droid named Doc. And there is an additional protagonist, and this character's name is uh, Roby Maddox. She's a woman in her early 30s and is Dodger's partner in crime. She's a gunslinger with an attitude, 
and is one of the only people that Dodger can trust. She grew up an orphan in 1313 and was taken in by the Wandering Star crime family. She doesn't like droids because she thinks artificial life is creepy. In concept art, it appears that uh, actor Natalie Morales is depicted in the role. She's been in a lot of TV shows, perhaps most notably Lucy in Parks and Rec. Um, she wears a white V-neck, short leather jacket, dark pants, Han Solo-style holster, and there's been two different versions of her, one with like a hat kind of like Dr. Afra's steampunky sort of goggle uh, World War One pilot deal, and sometimes a hat similar to the Rebel soldiers on Endor. Apparently, it's highly suspected that her story could branch out into a sequel for this game. Probably one of those like kind of standalone DLC packs, I could imagine. Well, that's that possible. Yeah. More, more and more popular. Yeah. And uh, we'll tell you much more about the story if uh, you want to go behind the blast doors. And hey, if so, maybe maybe you don't go behind the blast doors for for film stuff. But we're not going to be talking about any film stuff, just this video game. So maybe this will be the first time you come behind the blast doors with us. But we do have a little bit more to cover. This is episode's running a bit long, but there there was a lot of backlog news. <laughs> so one last thing, theme parks. The Star Wars lands at uh, Anaheim and Orlando are set to open in 2019. And a very strange thing happened. Um, in April, guests were being polled about interest in a luxury Star Wars resort experience at Walt Disney World that will be designed like you're staying on a starship from Star Wars and would be attached to Hollywood Studios um, so you could, uh, like, you know, just go to the park. And so, I mean, this sounds to me like Flotsam Paradise from Fifth Element, the uh, the interactive hotel, you know? Um, and and there's details. Like, this, this, weird, <laughs> this weird inquiry of guests is full of details. We'll link to where you can actually see some very low-res concept art. But, I mean, they've put a lot of thought and already a lot of money into assessing the feasibility of this concept. Here's what they proposed. A two-night immersive Star Wars experience for around $900 to $1,000 per guest, personal character interactions with live streetmosphere performers and popular Star Wars characters, unique, a unique story experience which will develop over the duration of the stay, unique programs to enjoy while on the starship, all are personalized and completely themed to be as real as possible. Um, flight training, lightsaber training, ship tours, and exploration, as well as secret missions. If the windows don't look out into space, uh, what's the point? Well, uh, there are windows. There are windows in these rooms that are depicted as showing stuff, maybe alien worlds. I don't know if they're saying it's in a starship. And you're right. If it and if there's not, if it's not straight up space, then it's not believable. All right. But okay. but well, maybe 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 you'll board, and they will show you outside the windows taking off, going through space, and then landing in your destinations. That'd be cool. Um, let's see, other details. Up to four guests in a room. Interactive views in the rooms. Interactive views. I don't know what that means, but I don't know. All meals are included, so if you're like, Jesus Christ, this is expensive, I guess there's a reason. This is like staying on a cruise but not being on the water. Um, breakfast and lunch would be buffets. Dinner would be a Disney signature dining event. Uh, the resort has a pool, fitness area, and cantina uh, for snacks outside of mealtimes. There would be robotic droid butlers, just like the robot hotel in Japan as well as dinner shows. 
and uh, and it would include admission to Star Wars Land. I don't know. It's it just said Star Wars Land. I don't know if that means hey, you can't go to the rest of Hollywood Studios, but this is something that I do not have the money. <laughs> I don't have the money for, but I would certainly try to have the money for it if it is everything that they have promised there, because that is crazy sounding. Yeah, I'm making a lot of promises. Uh, I'm interested to see what is going to actually be there. Uh, on launch day versus what's going to be there two years after. Yeah. Now that's 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 a tall order, and Star Wars Land itself is a tall order. There was a couple reports that were coming in a few months back detailing what exactly Star Wars Land would be. Uh, we've had some suspicions that it was going to be a you know a highly interaction based space, much akin to Universal's Harry Potter areas. Um, it's been described as being like a Renaissance fair. Um, than a theme park land like uh the shops and dining would be hyper themed and operate like elaborate dinner theaters and living history museums um there'd be actors everywhere visitors would be guided through long plot filled stories that take them through multiple environments before they board ride vehicles um we know there's a millennium falcon ride um which is codenamed big bird so if you're anything about big bird that's what they're talking about um the experience would involve moving between multiple pre-show theaters, setting up the plot, and providing tasks you have to complete leading up to boarding the Falcon. And then if you fail your assigned tasks, a happy ending is not guaranteed. <laughs> There's a Stormtrooper Battle Escape Ride, which is codenamed Alcatraz, where you'd be on a wireless and trackless vehicle that uh, you disembark and then you reboard the vehicle on different levels of this massive ride building several times. Um... And all the time you're under attack by stormtroopers, um, they're digging some kind of deep pit into the ground to uh, to take care of these elevator mechanisms. And this is this is all notes coming from uh, Disneyland, not Disney World, because obviously Disney World you're not ba- you're not digging a hole in the ground. That's not an option. Um, they this has been described as imagine riding Pirates of the Caribbean, but getting off your boat in the caverns to explore the skeletal remains, getting back in your boat quickly when you hear Barbosa attacking the fort sailing along until you get out of your boat a second time in the auction scene to interact with the panicky townsfolk for a while, then reboard your boat when the fire breaks out to escape by sailing through the ride's finale. The lines and queues for this land is going to, like, we will never be able to ride these things. I can't imagine, like, I feel, I hate to be a downer, but I really think Star Wars Land is going to be a giant disaster. (laughs) So many lofty ideas. Oh, yeah, no, um... That's very likely. One last note about Alcatraz uh, is Pirates has 75 animatronic figures. This would have over 150 animated stormtroopers alone, plus additional animatronic Star Wars characters of all sizes. So, as you were saying, Matt, with all this reports comes this as well. The operational capacity is tiny. Each attraction is not expected to get more than 1,500 riders per hour, which is half the hourly capacity of Pirates of the Caribbean. And that's resulted in a schism between people managing and the people creating these experiences. Oh, boy. They're going to start firing the lords and millers of uh, Imagineers. Yeah, I mean, I, this, and this was, this was months ago. This is pertaining specifically to Disneyland. It might be different at Disney World. But what they're describing sounds incredible. But you're right. Unless there's an extremely limited capacity where they make sure that, like, like that maybe the, the ticket price is, ver- is very high. There's, like... I mean, because the thing is, if you're going to Hollywood Studios, then, which is which is exclusively something that's in Orlando, 
Mm-hmm. You're paying for that that ticket for an entire world. But if Star Wars Land then has these the same details as it has over in Anaheim, this Anaheim thing sounds like it's separately separately ticketed land. Like it has to have. <clears throat> yeah, it, it's it's part it's part of Disneyland. But I mean, it, it is. But like the way the way it's described, it sounds like something that has you know limited capacity. They can only let so many people in a day, which means it would have an independently very lofty, very high priced ticket. And that they would have to, in order to create the experience they want, have all these, you know, rules and regulations to getting in. I never thought about that possibility because I just thought of like Harry Potter World or Harry Potter Land where it's just essentially, you know, it's part of the park. It never dawned on me. I I feel like if they were going to have to do it as separate admission, they probably should have said that up front. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, it sounds like it sounds to me utterly impossible to do as a part of one of the pre-existing parks in this style because you can't i mean even just knowing that there's a ride that makes you get on and off of a vehicle under the uh narrative assumption of being chased that sounds dangerous for anyone who's not particularly spry and mobile like that sounds like a an opportunity to create stampedes to um to, to for rides to get easily held up because of all these moving parts where it's like you know come on come on oh fuck everybody's being so slow why are they moving so slow i have a quota to meet you know like all right the narrative experience will be hindered by people not playing ball you know 2019 I, is not I, far I, from i now. got a feeling that 90 percent of these things are just going to change because of reasons exactly like that like these rides are going to be so different than when we first hear about it you know like i even if you ha- even if you have to pay separate admission they can't guarantee it. Yeah. It, it's, yeah it's, it's crazy. It's going to be a disaster. <laughs> I want it to be great, but yeah, I don't, I don't know when I'm going to be able to get into this. You know, I don't know if I'm going to enjoy it when I do. <laughs> it's going to be pandemonium, but I look forward to seeing what happens because I love immersive experiences and I want this to be good. But Christ, it, it, sounds, it just sounds like they're cruising for a bruising. Yep. So that's everything that's spoiler-free. We're going to get to the blast doors, but before we go, we have to... Thank all of you for making State of the Empire possible. If you love State of the Empire, please let us know. We want to hear from you. Join us on Facebook in the Star Wars Spoilers Facebook group. There's links to it on this episode's page, or you can just search Star Wars Spoilers. Rating and reviewing us on iTunes is a great help. You know, there's a ton of Star Wars podcasts out there, and uh, if you think that we're one of the best, then you should let people know. Rate and review us on iTunes. You can just give us a five-star review, or you could maybe say something nice. If you do, we'll read it on this episode's page. But, you know, iTunes is a bit of a pain in the ass, and there's a new platform in town. It's called Podchaser, and it's in beta right now. Closed beta, but we have some access codes for you. If you go to podchaser.com and insert the codes nerdy or nerdy show, you can get in there and get at the ground level of an amazing platform that's dedicated to podcast discovery and a streamlined experience the likes of which you will not see on iTunes. You can not only rate and review series, but also specific episodes. So if you think there's a special episode of State of the Empire that's particularly good, if you like this episode, you can rate and review just this episode. Presently, State of the Empire only has six ratings on Podchaser and only one review, which we read last episode. And none of our episodes are rated, so get on that, folks. If you head to nerdyshow.com slash podchaser, you'll find a bunch of information to give you a good perspective on exactly what the site is all about. There's some screenshots to help you get the gist of how it works. But it's pretty simple, and it's in development right now. So if you love podcasting in general, 
and you want to see what we think is going to be the future of podcasting, then you should get in on Podchaser right now. Again, the beta keys are Nerdy or Nerdy Show, and you can find all of that at nerdyshow.com slash podchaser. And if you really like what we do and you're willing to throw some money our way, then please join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash nerdyshow. We have so many bonus features for you to sample, to take advantage of. You'll get early releases. Our Rogue One episode is going to be ready way before two weeks from now. So if you want that early, all you have to do is donate just a dollar on our Patreon and you get all the early releases. And if you just like buying stuff from Amazon, be it Star Wars merch or otherwise, head to nerdyshow.com slash Amazon and buy through our Amazon links. It'll give back to us. And if you buy something cool and Star Wars related, let us know and we'll give you a shout out on the show. So with that, it is time to open the blast doors. Open the blast doors. Open the blast doors. All right, guys. You want to hear this plot for this Star Wars game? <laughs> if it involves a light whip, I don't think I'm interested. <laughs> <laughs> no, the plot does not involve the light whip. Um, hell, the light whip might be, be even subject to change. But this is a, a rather detailed plot. This is a rather... It's a lot of information to know right now. I mean, I'm talking about, like character names and stuff i like not the main characters like supporting characters <sighs> it's weird so after the death star defeat the empire is leaning really hard on the outer rim which harbors all kinds of rebel cells and lots of crime and dodger's been hiding out there so the empire leaning on the criminal underworld shakes things up a ton and um as a result dodger pulls a gig for Jabba because he wants to get his name wiped off that list and the only way to do that is to get that money from Jabba so he is going to kidnap someone named Una Sable who's the daughter of a powerful Rang underboss and this is where things get really complicated so I'm going to read from making Star Wars verbatim right now <laughs> because the Empire's tightened its grip on the Outer Rim territories a mid-level crime boss from the Rang clan sees an opportunity to cozy up with the Empire which can be advantageous to the Rang the Rang's mining operations recently discovered a violaceris gas that uh, has formed where Alderaan used to be. The purple substance can be weaponized, and the Rang clan begins to test that and uh, set up a mining facility with mining ships in the Alderaan graveyard. Before I go on, Matt, do you recall what the Tarkin Initiative is? Tarkin Initiative was um, a think tank that kind of came up with, like, super weapons. Okay, that makes sense. So here's, here's what Making Star Wars goes on to say. The crime boss and the Tarkin Initiative have a valuable weapon on their hands. The weapon is obscene in that it can be sprayed on an environment, and all living creatures in the area are petrified and left as calcified remains like something out of the ruins of Pompeii. The advantage to the weapon is that everything else around is left perfectly intact. That means the Empire can take anywhere at once, remove the inhabitants, and not harm valuables and locations they might want for strategic reasons. Dodger will witness the weapon used on someone he has grown to call family, apparently not the side character, because um, since she's going to have a spinoff, uh, and it will put Dodger in a place where he has to decide to take a stand or to keep running. And, of course, Dodger is like, well, fuck, Alderaan, my home, is being weaponized. Not only is it horrible, this is like this is like a slight to my, I want to say, not species, I suppose, since they're humans, but I don't know, whatever that is. So there's a point where they're going to probably share this since it's very early plot material, but I was shocked by the level of detail, and I think it's all true. And Well, I, they've done the Clone Wars. They did the sort of like, all living matter petrification type thing it allowed like you know they kind of lob these bombs in and it would kill everything so that the battle droids like 
they the, the droids could engage in battle and then they could like fire these things off and it would only kill living combatants so kind of been done i guess unless it's a new spin on this well is that canonical uh yeah it was in the clone wars cartoon huh and that is all we have for this episode of state of the empire thanks for listening and we'll be back in two weeks with our rogue one special taking us out is a track called Finn and Poe by the Library Bards from their record Bard Core. This is a parody of X's and O's by Ellie King. And it's one of many tracks you can hear on nerdy.fm, our nerd music streaming service, which is also available on Apple and Android. Here's Finn and Poe. But you'll never make them gay
We're going to do it again, but just punch Direct it up a me. little bit. So okay. just, he can, you know, do it faster, more intense. <laughs> I feel like the Hayden Christensen of podcast <laughs> recordings. <laughs> hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.